Welcome back in Car Talk Podcast recording on a Wednesday morning, November Kentucky, Danny Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. And Dan, uh, one week from today, we'll have college basketball. Probably. Maybe. Probably. Like it's, it's probably going to happen, but basketball will be back. We're excited about that. Um, football will also still be playing. And um, I, I, what, what do we say about football at this point that we haven't uh, already said the last couple of weeks? But um, I, I feel like there's only one team in college football that wants to play less right now than Louisville does. And that's the Syracuse Orange. Um, they've got like 15 freshmen that are starting this week because of, of COVID issues. How bad do you have to be to be playing a Louisville team that's two and six overall, one and six in the conference, dealing with its own COVID issues, just lost its best player to opting out of the rest of the season and, and then going pro, and yet Syracuse is an 18-point underdog. That's gotta that's gotta be tough to stomach. When I saw that line, I thought it was a misprint my jaw absolutely hit the floor. I couldn't, I, I mean, and granted, you know, like we talked about on earlier pods, I haven't really followed college football like I have in the past, just because this year is, is, you know, just, it's, it's like, I'm in a haze when I watch it. It's just so, you know, nothing that happens is going to emotionally move me. So I really haven't um, followed, especially our conference as closely as I usually do, but I mean, my God, like they just must be a, a, a terrible team. So, um, yeah, poor Dino Babers up there. Um, that's got to be rough. We also found out this week that this uh, this Louisville football season, the regular season at least, uh, is going to be extended for an extra week. We're going to get an extra week of, of practice. How pissed do you think the – well, I guess, I guess I'll finish the thought – uh, Louisville, because of issues with Miami's team uh, surrounding COVID, they've mixed around the end of the ACC schedule. Louisville not going to play Boston College the day after Thanksgiving anymore. They're actually going to play Wake Forest next Saturday and then get a bye week and then play Boston College on, I think, December 12th is the uh, two is three Saturdays from now. I mean, if you're a Louisville football player right now, granted, I'm sure some of them are still fully invested. They just love football. They love playing. But I, I would be willing to bet that there's a chunk of that team that is like an extra week of practice in December and then a dis- mid-December game at Boston College that nobody cares about. Like even the, the teams aren't even going to care about. That's probably not what they were hoping to hear when schedules were. I mean, think about like the, one of the best parts about being a college football player is that status. Even if you're on a program that's not good, even if the team's having a little bit of a down year, you're still a college football player. You're still the cool guy at the parties. You still get the girls, like all that stuff. They don't get any of that right now. They're playing losing football. It's starting to get cold. Like this has to be top five, like worst times to be a college football player if you're at a place like Louisville or Syracuse or Boston College or any one of those schools. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point, and uh, like it's 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 gonna be up to the coaching staff to really kind of keep these guys engaged. Um, you know, it, it, it really is a lost season. There's really nothing else to say, you know, after, and we'll get into the game, I'm sure here shortly, but, you know, after last week, you know, finding out right before the game, obviously we didn't know what was going on with JVN, um, 2-2 without, of course, yeah, we did lose, but I, I still I, I'm I'm questioning the the fans on on Twitter that are are, are saying maybe you know Satterfield is, isn't built for this job. I I just don't think you can hold. I, and again, I, I'm not an excuse guy. There's things that he has to do better, but I mean this is just a lost season. It is what it is. He's playing kind of with the the deck sacked against him. Um, and there's really, I mean, nothing else you can do besides at this point, you know, hopefully some of these youngsters that come in, gain experience, get game experience, um, and, and carry it over into next year. But, I, you know, there's, there's really nothing else to say besides this, this season's, it, it's been a disappointment, but it, it's really, you know, it's, it's not just Louisville, I think, that's feeling the effects of this. I think a whole bunch of college programs are kind of in the same boat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think there are two extremes amongst the fan base right now, and, and 
more fans than not are somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. They can use nuance. They can figure out that this isn't a, you just throw out the entire season, like who cares about it? And I know you use that term, but I mean, it it matters at least a little bit. It's not just a, a, a total throwaway. It's, people are going to remember what the record was. They're going to remember some of the specific specifics from games. But it also, I, I don't think you can just say football's football. Extenuating circumstances don't matter at all. Who cares about COVID? Who cares about the all the delays, all the breaks, all that stuff? You, you've got to find some middle ground. And I would lean more towards the – I'd lean more heavily on the – kind of a, a lost season don't read too deeply into it than I would um, maybe this guy's in over his head or this program isn't as close to getting back as we thought they were we'll obviously know more next year but it's just such a such a unique situation and it's like you said it's not just us it's teams across the country so like I don't think you can the, the weird thing about watching this this season has been when you're actually watching the games it's not like like if you told me before the year that Louisville would be one and six in the conference, and you'd look at some of these scores, I'd be like, "Well, man, they've they've just packed up shop. Like they don't care." There is a little bit of that, I think, but for the most part, when I watch Louisville, the frustrating thing about them is they always look like they're the better team, or that they're at least on a level playing field, and the scoreboard says something completely different. Like that's the weird thing about this season is we're outgaining everybody, but just stupid turnovers and stupid mistakes, all the things that we didn't do last year have just bit us. And I think it's what Keith's been saying all along. Like this program, like it's such a razor thin margin for error. And when you're literally quite literally the worst team in college football, when it comes to turnover margin, that's the easiest explanation for why this team is two and six, but uh, three more games to play. And Hey, you don't have to have a winning record to play in a bowl game this year. So Louisville could be uh, three and eight and playing UCF in the Gasparilla bowl or something like that. Who knows? Uh, I mean, just, I don't even know what to say about the rest of this football season. I'm I'm going to watch. I'm excited for Friday night football just because it's something to do on a Friday night. But, man, it's it's hard to maintain anything resembling focus right now if you're a fan. Yeah, if if I could give some some advice, a podcaster's advice to, to Scott Satterfield and the staff please. when they're on the, on the recruiting trail, can we please recruit guys that value the football? I mean, I... I like I, I do think Scott is putting these guys in a position to win. I mean, we're out gaining teams. Um, I mean, honestly, our defense is it feels like it's getting better um, for the most part. They're, they've been put in some tough situations because of the turnovers. Uh, it's just, geez, we we're just so loose with the ball. And I, again, some of them, I, I don't even. I mean, the Malik run at the end of the game there when. He's trying to get the extra yards. I mean, I do. I, I absolutely love the effort. I, I I think, I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago, but these last couple weeks, I mean, Malik really is, he's he's working his ass off. Um, but unfortunately, it's just been a, a couple plays that, that kind of stick out. Obviously, we drove down the field in the first possession, and then, you know, he just had the, uh, you know, the terrible interception that got returned for a pick six, and then that, that fumble late in the game when we're driving, you know, trying to tie it. And that's what, unfortunately, fans are going to remember. But, you know, we, we just really, in the upcoming years, I, I hope that we're recruiting guys that absolutely value the football and don't put it on the ground nearly as much. Let's let's focus on what really matters, though. Louisville still undefeated in the Atlantic Division. Which is <laughs> of course. We, we've got three games against Atlantic Division opponents left on the schedule, BC, Wake, and Syracuse. If we run the table here, we finish the year at 4-0, and that's all that matters. Uh, Atlantic Division champions um, suck at Clemson. Like we'll, we, Maybe we'll share the title with them because I guess their only loss is to Notre Dame, who's not even in the conference. So I don't know. Um, fuck this season. Who cares? Let me, let me ask you this. What, what is your take on Satterfield being thrown around for South Carolina and then his response to it. I'm just curious what your take is. I think like, and again, maybe this is just me wanting to believe it. I I think he was genuinely surprised when he got the question. Like, I don't think that he'd, um, he'd seen the reports, not to say that he hadn't been told that maybe they could reach out to him, but when he was told that there was a report out there listing him as one of the primary candidates, he said he hadn't seen it. He hadn't heard anything like that. Uh, his agent is Jimmy Sexton. Who's, I mean, going to get every cent he can possibly get. He's, he's one of the best in the game. So I'm sure that Satterfield has been properly educated on the situation. At this point, 
it, it is a little bit unnerving to think that maybe he could wiggle, uh, turn a three and eight season into like a, a, a raise or a contract extension here uh, if it comes down to it. But um, I've got no idea if he's a legitimate candidate. It makes sense. I mean, he's from the Carolinas. Uh, he, he has a lot of experience in that area. Um, South Carolina probably wants somebody who's the opposite of Will Muschamp. And, and I think that Scott Satterfield fits that mold. But uh, how serious it is, who knows? Uh, I don't know. I, I'd be surprised if he's not Louisville's head coach next season without any significant alterations to his contract. I'll say that. Yeah, I would be surprised, too. And, I mean, we we know kind of where Louisville football is on, on, in the pecking order of college football just from the coaches that we've kind of had jump ship here. It see, And I, I texted you this earlier this week. It seems like us in, in Cincinnati – you know, we're kind of if you have successful seasons here and obviously this season isn't isn't successful, but we're kind of a springboard to, to bigger programs or bigger things. Um, you know, if you're a, a college coach at Louisville or Cincinnati, but for some reason, you know, I just feel like and this is just a gut feeling I have. I, I just feel like uh, especially when we, we brought him in and the way he talked about wanting to to turn around this program and be a part of something special. It just seems like maybe he's cut from a different cloth and he's going to see this thing out, you know, maybe longer than a, a Charlie strong or a, or a John L Smith or a Bobby 1.0. Um, but you never know. I mean, money talks sometimes, obviously the sec is, it is what it is, but um, I, again, this is a, a, people that are, talking about oh i don't even know if he's going to be the right guy for this program i mean if if he has a if he has a record that he does right now and he's already being his name is being thrown around for sec programs obviously people in the ranks of college football think this guy is really good so you know i want to keep him um for as long as we can and you know i i still like i said a couple weeks ago i I still think he's going to do big things but yeah it's a little unnerving i would say all right, let's um because football is, I, mean, I don't, it's dead to me at this point. I, I'm just trying like college football, pro football, Lions. My God, every same. Sometimes they lose in the last second. Sometimes they win in the last second. I just try to avoid thinking about football at this point as much as I can. Uh, we will have basketball games exactly a week from today. It's the first night of the college basketball season. We now know officially that Louisville is going to play um, Evansville. Uh, not Southern Illinois, who had to back out of the the Wade Houston tip-off classic because of COVID issues. So they're going to play Evansville. Former card Logan Ballman is, is the top assistant there. Uh, Jax Levich, David's brother, who played at Trinity, is a, uh, a grad transfer there playing for the team. Frank Licklider is the new head coach, replacing Walter McCarty, uh, famously known for refusing to stop hitting on my girlfriend, now wife, like 11 years ago, and then somehow getting into trouble for uh, – <laughs> For, a little foreshadowing for a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of people knew was going on for a long time. Um, so he's no longer there. We're going to play Evansville on the 25th and then play Seton Hall the day after Thanksgiving. I did love we found out um, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, the tip times and the TV assignments for Louisville's first five games. And I loved that, you know, all this offseason, people have been like, I don't care about the schedule. I don't care about when these games are played. I just want college basketball. I just want Louisville basketball. I'm not going to get greedy. And then these tip times come out that show three weekday games with afternoon tip times. And everybody's like, what the fuck? This is the worst fucking thing. Um, I may not even go to the games. I may not watch these games. Um, But hey, two of those are, are, I guess, not technically a holiday, but sort of a holiday. The day before and after Thanksgiving, there's always basketball on all day. Both of those tips for Louisville are going to be 4 p.m. tips. Um, The Evansville games on the ACC network. The Seton Hall games on ESPN2, and then on December 4th, a Friday, they're going to play UNC Greensboro at 2 o'clock on the ACC Network. So, you know, everybody get ready for that. Figure out how you're going to get off work or school or or whatever. Who who cares? Like, r- rules aren't a thing anymore. Just do whatever you want. Watch the game. It's going to be fine. But I guess as strange as everything is, do you find yourself feeling the same way a week out from college basketball as you usually do, or do you think it's going to be kind of like football where you've got to get you got to see how it feels once it starts. Here's the deal. College basketball just hits a little bit different with me. Um, and I, I do. I love college football. Do I know that the college basketball season is probably going to be an absolute cluster? It's going to be choppy. There's going to be, 
you know, quarantine teams and canceled games. Yes, I, I totally think that's going to happen. Does it diminish my excitement? No, not at all. I'm, I'm actually, I'm really anxious to see, um, you know, what we look like when we come out a week from today. I'm just ready to, especially after March Madness getting canceled, I'm just dying to watch college basketball. Like, I don't care if you play it on a ship or whatever. I, I just want to see it. I want to watch it. Um, you know, and, and I think I'm hoping that most people, especially, uh, you know, in the city would agree with me that, you know, they just, Louisville basketball, no matter how it's played, just brings some sort of normalcy back to people's lives. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and I think we found out this week that, and I know I've said it on this podcast. I said it on the um, the podcast I did with the uh, the state of Louisville guys. Shout out to them just launching their new endeavor. But you know, for anybody who's concerned that the NCAA tournament's not going to happen this year, like the NCAA is going to do whatever it has to to make sure that there's a tournament played in some form. It may look weird. It may be different. It may you know not be as fun as you're used to to it being. But that event's going to happen. It makes them a billion dollars. They can't afford for it not to happen in back to back years. And we found out this week that the NCAA shockingly when it money they get out in front of things and make smart decisions they don't drag their feet and do stupid shit um they're going to play the ncaa tournament this year at a centralized location um it's going to be according to all reports even though it's not official it's going to be in indianapolis they've got a a bunch of different venues that you can play games at um teams can bubble up there for three weeks so like to me that was comforting knowing that there's even if the season is going to be a disaster even if you're going to have you know, some teams playing five games, some teams playing 20 games. There's going to be an NCAA tournament at the end. It may not be, the seating may be a disaster. The seating may be weird. It may be not as fair as it usually is, but at least we're going to have March or April or May madness. And that's, that's a good thing. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about this team, even with all the injuries. And I'll give you just podcast listeners, I'll give you the latest little bit of what I'm hearing from people uh, with the program and who have been to practice recently. Um, Sam Williamson's back at practice. We found that out at the beginning of last week. From my understanding, he, he's nowhere near 100%. Like, I'm not saying he's not going to play against Evansville on Wednesday, but I know that he has not been um, running with the first team. He's not been doing the full scrimmages. But the good news is filling his place has been freshman DeAndre Davis, who apparently has been kind of a, a bright spot. He won the gold jersey uh, that they give to the best player in practice for the previous week. He won that, I guess, yesterday. And... I, I don't think that that's just them trying to prop him up. I'm not saying he's going to start and play 35 minutes a, a night, but I think maybe I undervalued him a little bit when we've been talking about the freshmen and what roles they may play this year. Um, DeAndre Davis could step in for Sam Williamson uh, and be pretty good, at least at the beginning of the season. So David Johnson, you know, Carly Jones, you know, um, everything else is kind of up in the air at this point. Who knows when Charles Midland's going to be back fully healthy? Who knows when Sam's going to be back to being Sam? Who knows how good these... Uh, members of the Super Six that didn't play a whole lot last year are going to be, but I'm like you, like I'm just really, really excited to see. But man, if ever there were a year to have red-white scrimmages or exhibition games or just a glimpse to figure out what exactly we're dealing with, yeah, you'd love to have those this year. You're exactly right, and those kind of help me prepare, you know, to kind of set the expectation for each player. Um, and now we're just getting right into it in game one. It's probably going to take me like three minutes to like absolutely wear a kid out. Like, be like, I guess we're just going to stand there and watch the fucking rebound fall. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, in all seriousness, you know, um, I, that's great news about DeAndre Davis. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people saw the video on social media of him getting the gold jersey and just the high. I mean, the, again, they're practice highlights, but, you know, he looks smooth. He looks athletic. He looks good. Um, so I don't know. I mean, everything at this point is really just, we're speculating, we're, we're guessing, you know, we're just going off, like you said, what, what you're kind of hearing, you know, is going on at practice, but you know, things change when, when you turn the lights on, um, that first game. But I, I do think one thing I thought about, um, I think it'll be nice for a couple, uh, you know, maybe not all the players, but I think some people, it might be advantageous for them that we don't have fans there um, that, you know, this first week, uh, of course, fans give a lot of players energy and stuff like that, but maybe someone like a car like Jones, who's, who's coming in from Radford and, and really wants to prove, I'm sure, 
you know, not only to, you know, his teammates, but to the ACC and Louisville fans that he belongs and he's one of the better players. You know, sometimes when you're playing in front of fans, you can do stuff, you know, kind of out of your comfort zone, maybe get a little caught up. Nice maybe for, you know, someone like him to have that setting where he can just go in and play his game. Who's who's your player for it? Because you're a big fan, not shockingly, since you call everybody by their first name on this podcast. You're big on shouting angrily the first names of players. Uh, who's going to be your go-to this year? Because I've been thinking about this. And I think the name that is the most fun to like yell in anger, and this is, I, I love this guy. I'm excited for him. But it's got to be Quinn. And I know that's your boy, but like Quinn is is just a lot more fun to say than like Carlyke or, or uh, DeAndre. I feel like that's going to be my go-to this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I'm going to have to watch a game or two, but <laughs> like, see how it feels. Here, here's the deal. And this isn't fair, um, what I'm about to say, but man, are you, are you getting like Wayne Blackshear vibes with Sam Williamson? Just like the way things are playing out, like very hype freshman year. I know Wayne was hurt, you know, most of his freshman year. We saw flashes, same thing from Sam. We saw flashes. Came back sophomore year, wasn't completely healthy. Uh, Sam obviously got a little banged up, um, and I mean we're gonna need Sam to be to be big, and we're gonna need him to be aggressive. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm I'm you know dogging on the kid, but uh, we're really gonna need him to play a bigger role. And if he's not, I could totally see myself kind of snapping at him a little bit. It is a little bit creepy when you look at. I mean, think about last year. The very first time we saw Sam Williamson in, in an actual game was the Miami game first night, and he looked fantastic. Like he was, you know, doing, he looked like he was ready to go right away. I think he ended up with 10 points or something like that, hit a couple of fall away jumpers, and you're like, man, this kid's different than the other freshmen we've had the last decade. He's ready to go right now. Wayne Blackshear, if you remember, his first game was that West Virginia game in the oh, middle yeah, I remember of that. the 2011 uh, 12 season because he'd been hurt. He comes out, splashes a bunch of threes. Um, make some big baskets for in a huge win, and we're like, man, this kid's different. In both cases, they kind of disappeared after that for a little bit, and then had flashes uh, late in the season that made you think that they were going to be, you know, fantastic as sophomores. And then obviously Wayne had the injury issues. We've now seen Sam have some injury issues. Um, I still, I, I don't, I don't want to think that Sam's going to have the type of career that Wayne had, which is no disrespect to, to Wayne because I've I've defended Wayne as much as anybody. Um, you know, he was a winning player here. And hell, he was a starter. He's one of the winningest players we had, and he couldn't have ended his career on more of a high note um, if he but tried. It, but it, you know what I'm saying, though. Like, yes, for, exactly. For, for this year's team, and uh, if Sam is back next year, next year's team, and then you know, two years from now, if, if that comes to 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 pass. He's got to be better than Wayne was. Um, he doesn't have the supporting cast. Like he's got to make more of a star leap than Blackshear did at any point in his college career. If Louisville's going to be successful here for these next couple of years, which could be uh, a little bit rocky given the NCAA stuff, and then now dealing with with COVID, and I still think that he's certainly capable of that. I'm just, I'm very concerned about the injuries right now. I mean, I'll, I'll say this: like as of a couple of weeks ago, he couldn't jump. Like couldn't get both feet off the the ground, and that's. Um, a little bit discouraging to hear when you're this close to a season, but who knows? Uh, I mean, maybe uh, he's come a lot farther than than I, I thought he would in, in a short period of time, and he'll be ready to play some minutes right away next week, and he'll be fine two or three weeks from now. Who, who knows? But it, it is that comparison's been out there a couple of times now, and you can see why it's being made. Yeah, and I mean, the one thing I'm looking for for Sam is that I really didn't see a whole lot last year. Is just to be more aggressive. Um, I mean, he has a really fluid game. He's got a nice mid-range game. Um, he's capable of rebounding. He's capable of defending. I just kind of want him to get, um, you know, I, I guess a little more hard nose, a little bit scrappier um, from, from what I saw last year, because we're going to need, you know, him to be, you know, versatile and not only guarding guards, he's gonna, probably going to have to play down low a little bit. Um, and, and kind of mix it up. So again, uh, this is just, I, I'm just guessing here. I'm just throwing out speculation, but, um, you know, like you said, I, I want him to be healthy and I think that's going to be a key for us this season. 
Yeah, no question. And uh, we'll see. It's just it's weird to talk about any of these guys and try to make predictions without seeing exactly. Yeah, and like I, I don't want like anyone to hear this and be like, oh my god, he's dogging him because I'm right. completely not. I'm just kind of going off what I saw last year and just guessing what I think you know um, from what I've heard or what I you know what I might think happen. I mean, even if we had like a, a, a Louisville live event or the um, whatever Kentucky did a few last week, their pro day that was televised, like just having something to go off of would be so nice. And we don't have any of that. Um, speaking of Kentucky, uh, we did find out that Louisville was going to play Evansville. We actually found out on the one year anniversary of Evansville beating Kentucky that the uh, the cards were going to play the Aces this, this year. Um, I've reached out. We may try to get Logan Ballman on this podcast, who's now an assistant. And I, I, I may have shared the story a year ago, but Logan, I texted him the day they played Kentucky last year and was like, hey, man, like you're going to beat Kentucky tonight. It's going to happen. And he's like, if we do, you've got to write a full-length story on us for SB Nation. And I was like, no problem. So he calls me from the locker room after they've upset UK. Like People are screaming, and he's like, where's my fucking story? And it was like <laughs> – I was. It was like, no problem, man. We'll make it happen. And we actually had uh, Harry Lyles, who now works for uh, ESPN. He was actually with the team writing a story for us that, that wound up being really cool. And, of course, Evansville goes on to win, like, no no games the rest of the year. But they at least had that moment. But Logan's, I mean, the absolute nicest of the nice dudes you, you could ever meet um, was such a, an asset on that staff at UofL and was such a uh, asset as a, a walk-on slash uh, student assistant, just super nice kid. And I think he's going to be a really good head coach one day. So excited for them to be able to come to the Yum Center and play a couple of games here. And like you said, man, just excited for basketball. I'll, I'll be, I know Jeff Greer is covering like these sort of the, the middling games from the Wade Houston tip-off classic, but hell, I'll pay attention to Duquesne versus Winthrop. Like I'll, I'll take anything at this point. Uh, would you buy, Dan, a Wade Houston tip-off classic 2020 champions mask? Oh my God, a hundred percent. Yeah, we may have I mean, to. I'd, yeah, I mean that's. I might just have to put that on the Christmas list, to be honest, um, and <laughs> give one to each member of my family. Speak uh, Christmas list. Uh, we're going to transition to Twitter questions here in a second, but before we do, want to remind you if you're looking for a good Christmas gift, if you want to get shopping out of the way for a local fan in your life, check out HomeFieldApparel.com. They're sponsoring our podcast. They're sponsors on the website, and they're saving you money if you use the promo code Card Chronicle at checkout. That's going to save you 20% off your first purchase. They've got awesome Louisville uh, shirts. They've got awesome Louisville hoodies. They've got retro designs. They've got the Duncan Cardinal bird. They've got the old school Cardinal bird wearing sunglasses. They've got a Scott Satterfield shirt. Uh, check out all their stuff at homefieldapparel.com. Follow them on social media as well. They've got a, a Instagram page, which is just Homefield Apparel. They've got a Twitter page, which is Homefield Apparel without the E in apparel. Um, you'll see all their new designs. If you want to buy a um, you know, Stony Brook t-shirt, they got you covered there. If you want a Bucknell t-shirt, they got you covered there. They got all these schools, and their shirts are really soft. They're long-lasting. Um, just a, Again, a company that I was supporting before they even came on uh, as a sponsor of the podcast. So go to homefieldapparel.com. And remember the promo code Card Chronicle uh, at checkout. That's going to save you 20%. Sorry, Dan, didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have a final thought there? No, I didn't. Um, in fact, I forgot what we were even talking about. <laughs> <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah, well yeah, I kind of zoned out there. Sorry. All right, we'll take some questions. I asked for questions last night uh, on Twitter. We got some heavy hitters weighing in here. Um, Let's see. Joshua goes first. He says, what are your thoughts on the possible NCAA tournament restriction uh, due to regions not being a thing this year? Um, I think that regions are going to be a thing this year as far as the way that they draw the bracket. My understanding is that the basic layout of the NCAA tournament is going to be the same as it's always been. You're still going to have a first four. You're still going to have 68 teams. You're still going to have four regions. The What's going to be different this year is, for starters— Selection Sunday is not going to lead directly into the NCAA tournament. Like I, I think you're going to have the draw for the NCAA tournament announced, and then you may have like two weeks before we actually start playing the games. I think there's going to be a longer layoff. And then I don't think you're going to have the same Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Monday uh, layout for the tournament. I, I think you're going to see, because they're all going to be playing these games, all these regions are going to be played at the same four sites. I think you're going to see like games on Monday and Tuesday, games on Wednesday and Thursday. Like I, I think the basic layout is going to be a little bit different, but as far as the overall setup, that's going to be the same. And, and again, like as long as we get there, as long as we have it, I'm fine with all this. I, I think we can all, after losing it last year, I think we can all 
stretch ourselves in 2021 and embrace a, a tournament that's a little bit different, but that still happens. No, I think that's a good point. And I mean, you never know. It could be, you know, a change in, in format, at least for a year, could be great. I mean, we could really like it, but I just feel like no matter how much we like it, I don't, I hope, you know, uh, the following year we, we don't, uh, you know, take some of what was successful this year and try to change anything about the tournament because the tournament as it is, is just absolutely perfect. I, I wouldn't want to change anything. Um, but just if we have the mindset going into this, that it's going to be different. I'm going to embrace it and it could be fun. Um, I, I do think it'll be interesting. Like you said, they'll have the four regions. Um, but a lot of times the selection committee, it seems like they're placing teams, um, maybe uh, like keeping a, a Duke close to, uh, you know, in the East bracket because their first round games are in Greensboro or whatnot. Um, so it should be interesting um, that we might get a more true one through 64 seating order than we do in years past. Would you go back, because you said you wouldn't change anything about the tournament. The one thing that I would change is sort of what you were alluding to right there. I'd go to sixty back to 64 teams. Like the first four, it, I kind of like having a taste on Tuesday and Wednesday, but we don't really need it. Like 64 teams was perfect. Let's go back. I, I mean, I did. I, 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 this is what I'll say. If they did it, I'd be like, oh, cool. But I've, I've kind of grown to, to love the first four date, and I think it's a nice little tradition. Um you know, I don't know. I'm just used to it by now. So if they keep it great, if they didn't, I would totally not have a problem with it. I'd be okay. I'd be more okay with the first four if they only included at large teams. That's if, true. Yeah, that's true. In your conference tournament, you should be able to have the experience of playing in the main draw. Like if you're a, a 16 seed, if you played for, I don't know, uh, Jackson State in 2011, and you won your conference and you got to play in the NCAA tournament, would you rather lose to Manhattan in Dayton in a game that nobody watches and nobody remembers or have that experience of like getting to play Kansas or getting to play Louisville or getting to play Kentucky and you know losing by maybe 25 or 30 points but doing something cool? I think everybody would rather play that, that brand on main TV, main draw, main bracket, all that stuff. I think if you win your conference, you deserve to be in the main draw. That's the one thing that I would say about the about the first four. Um, Dan, we had a lot of responses to last week's pod where you talked about almost killing somebody with your car. Oh, shit. People love the story, but it, it did lead to more people who are curious about your personal life. Uh, my guy Ryan Keeling responded and said, I would love to hear, after listening to that, I'd love to hear Dumpster Dan's top five worst hangovers. And, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean – I was like, I've got some memories right off the top of my head that I can think of. Do you have one hangover that stands out in particular? Um, yes. Okay. Now that I'm <laughs> I'm thinking long and hard, this was so embarrassing. Like, this was like senior year. I mean, I don't know how much in detail we want to get here, but uh, up to you. Yeah, I was with you the night before, and um, you know, we uh, we or me, of course, I, I guess I had a little too much to drink and was basically on the toilet most of the night. And I believe you actually made your way in there at some point, um, <laughs> getting sick as well. Um, but that next morning, I remember, because we were going into college, um, you know, the next year, and we had to get, I, I don't know what kind of shot we needed. I needed some sort of shot, and I had a doctor's appointment the next morning, and um honestly i remember and this is embarrassing enough my mom was with me to take me to get this <laughs> shot i can't believe i just admitted that a senior in high school going into college i remember it happened at the middletown public library and they're waiting for my shot i'm like i'm gonna puke all over this doctor like this and like my mom at this point like i think she knew that i drank a little bit i don't think she knew like to the extent but like, if she didn't know by then, then there's no way, because I had to smell, like, basically a, a 175 of Heaven Hill Vodka. But as soon as the doctor gave me the shot, I just walked out to the parking lot right in front of my mom and just puked <laughs> everywhere. I, and she was like, oh, my God, get in the car. And I was like, oh, God, like, it was terrible. I was like, just give me a moment. Just give me a second. <laughs> so... Yeah, anyways, I'd, I'd put that as one of my worst hangovers. I don't know how we ever dealt with, like, being hungover in front of our parents. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think I would just like lock myself away. I mean, I'll never forget show like getting dropped off at my parents' house and like showing up at the front door, like just reeking and holding one of my sandals in my hands because I couldn't get it back on my foot. Like when I was walking up to the door and my mom just being like, oh, my God, just get oh, it. Oh, I remember my low point of a hangover was after the, the day after my 21st birthday. I mean, I was an absolute disaster. Um, I, I came home. I was literally lying on my, my bathroom floor and my parents were nice enough to like bring in like the radio um, to listen to the Reds game. And I'm literally like blowing chunks. And Marty Brenneman is like, we want to wish a special happy 21st birthday um, to Bernie Stowe's grandson, Danny Sinhart and Louisville. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Oh, um, but yeah, shout out Marty. Shout out to Marty. We miss you. Um, Let's see here. Trey Wampler, he's, he asked three questions. Um, we'll, we'll deal with two of them. He says, what additional penalties is UofL expecting from the NCAA uh, regarding the Adidas corruption scandal? I, I can't speak for UofL. I've got no idea um, what they're, they're planning on. The only thing, and I, I sound like a broken record at this point, if you followed what the NCAA did with Oklahoma State, if you followed what they've been doing with punishments over the last couple of years, I think the bare minimum you have to expect at this point is that Louisville's going to get at least one year of a postseason ban. I think they're, I don't even want to say probably because nobody has any idea what the NCAA uh, is doing. If you put a gun to my head and said, you've got to guess what you think is going to happen, I would say Louisville's going to get a two year postseason ban. Maybe they'll be able to get that knocked down on appeal. Uh, maybe the IARP, if they go that route, will give more credence to you know the mitigating factors, to everybody being fired, all that stuff. But I just think the fact that these violations occurred while Louisville was already on probation and making it a repeat offender is going to be what, what dooms UofL here. But hopefully, hopefully I'm totally wrong about that. We'll find out in the next few months. Uh, maybe, also- maybe, maybe, maybe they'll just give our university $7.75 million like Jeez. they did Greg Marshall. God, I, mean, what a, I mean, this is the most ass backwards organization I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the guy, first of all, is getting paid extra money from the Koch brothers for years, which is keeping him in Wichita. Then he's, I mean, it's not just like one guy telling a story. It's everybody backing up the story that he quite literally punched one of his kids in the back of the head during a practice, among many, many other things that should have gotten him fired. And then not only does he not get fired after a month-long investigation, they pay him $8 million to resign, and he's going to... He he may have a better job than Wichita State in two years. Like like somebody's going to hire him. It's going to be a relatively uh, well known program. The guy can coach. There's no question about it. And there'll be people willing to look over everything that happened, not just at Wichita, but at Win. And he'll be making you know seven figures again in probably 20 months. It's just it's totally outrageous. Um, uh, Trey also wanted to know why hasn't UofL been able to land more five star recruits over the past 15 to 20 years? And I don't know. I, I mean. That to me is is the it's the most ironic thing about the last decade is that Louisville has been painted with this you know this brush of being a renegade program whose success is only attributed to the fact that they were able to cheat to get all these five star recruits and that's why they were so good when the reality is Louisville fans have complained about recruiting I think more than any quote unquote blue tip program has over this time span and that was before any of this stuff happened and I mean Louisville yeah they they haven't really they haven't had those consistent top three classes or top five classes, um, but they've gotten guys that have been solid fits every now and then to have a five-star mixed in. Sam Williamson was a five-star a couple of years ago. So I can't give you a direct explanation for why that's been happening, but it's certainly been a complaint. Yeah. I mean, it's a valid question. I will say like, not that I wouldn't accept a five-star with open arms because I totally would, but um, you know, with, with like the one and done going on, like it has, you know, the past, however, 10, 12, 15 years, I, I don't know if it's been as important to grab those five stars. Cause uh, you know, a lot of these teams like a Villanova or a Texas tech, or even a Louisville back in 2013, you know, it's been nice having those four star guys, a couple three star guys, you know, develop over three, four years. And, 
and eventually having that success, you know, when these guys grow up to be around juniors or seniors, like I said, I'm, I'm, I would totally open my arms to a five-star recruit, but um, I don't know if they are as important as maybe they have been, in, you know, before all that. By the way, the NBA drafts tonight. I keep forgetting. Um, I, Jordan Wara, probably going to hear his name called. There's been some late talk that maybe he could be a late first round pick. I think it's more likely that he's somewhere middle of the second round, but it's just <clears throat> like, I've never been more aware of that time is a human construct because I, I, I'm sure I knew at some point that these sporting events had been postponed for certain dates, but they surprised me every time. Like last week, I forgot about the masters until like Monday of, of the week. I was like, Oh my God, the masters is this week. I have no idea when anything's getting started. Um, I tweeted this out yesterday, but if you told me today that the NHL's back tonight, I'd be like, that doesn't sound right. I, I don't I don't think you're right about that. But then I'd probably just believe you without looking it up. Like, like I have no idea when anything's happening anymore. So NBA draft tonight. Are you excited? I, I am excited. I love the NBA draft. Like, I think it's uh, a nice, like, you know, after the NBA season ends, I think it's usually around late June is when it usually happens. And I totally look forward to it every year. Um, it's it's great to have, you know, some local guys involved this year. I'm, I'm hoping – um, you know, Jordan goes as early as possible. And I mean, yes, he, he spurned us, but you know, I, I, I still, I, I hope Jay scrub, you know, uh, gets drafted and has a successful, you know, pro career as well. So I'm, I'm cheering for both those guys. As a Trinity basketball, uh, prodigy yourself, did you ever think we'd get to the point where I mean, we had Ray Spalding drafted a couple of years ago? We're probably going to get Jay scrub drafted tonight. Uh, David Johnson, you assume is going to be drafted. Do you feel like you laid the groundwork for future Trinity Shamrocks to be drafted in the NBA? Oh, a hundred percent. But I was thinking about this, like how bad of luck have these three Trinity guys, you know, or have Lul has Louisville had, you know, when recruiting these Trinity guys. So, I mean, Ray Spalding was right in the middle of, you know, uh, the NCAA tournament ban. Um, now David Johnson you know, yes, we had last year, but March Madness doesn't happen. And now the fans aren't going to be there this year for the most part because of COVID. Um, Jay Scrub, uh, you know, goes to junior college and then commits to us and then goes to the NBA. So as much as like, I, I love it. We've, we've unfortunately had some pretty bad luck as far as, um, you know, going to the well with Trinity basketball players. Are you trying to say that this is the curse of Mike Zabo? Because that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I would, I, no. There is no curse of Mike Zabo. He's a winner. This is a Mike Zabo. This is a pro Mike Zabo podcast. 100%. The only one in the city. Yeah, we, we love it. Where's your sneakers? Yep. What is this, a Danny Sinod fan club? What are you guys doing here? Uh, by the way, his accent, we had him on the radio show after they won state a couple of years ago. The accent has diminished like significantly in the last 15 years or so. Well, I mean, yeah, he's been here for a while. I guess, you know, I bet when he gets pissed, it still comes out a little bit. Uh, Pay10 uh, on Twitter says, who's the biggest X factor for this year's men's basketball team to have success? Um, I mean, you could say 10 different guys here. Uh, I'll kind of give a cop-out answer and say, whoever's playing the five besides Malik Williams. Like, I think that's the biggest. Let's say Jalen Withers is good enough to play the five, and he's a serviceable ACC big man, um, playing a little bit undersized. Let's say he's good enough there. That's huge for this year's team. Let's say Aiden Agehan is light years ahead of where he was last year. Um, that would be huge. Let's say Gabe, our guy Gabe Wisnesser, is uh, just shockingly good as a freshman. That would be enormous. I, I think any one of those guys stepping up and being able to give really good minutes in the post while Malik's getting healthy would be enormous for this team. That would be a huge X factor. I mean, I'm going to go with Sam only because... That's fair. I, I mean, I, I think... Car, you know, Car Lake, everything we've heard about him, he's going to be able to create his own shot. I think, I think in college, you want at least three to four guys on the floor that can get their own shot whenever they want it. I think Car Lake's going to be able to do that. I think David Johnson's going to be able to do that. And I, I, I mean, Sam's capable of doing it, and I think we're going to need him to be able to do that. Um, the past couple of years for Chris Mack, it doesn't seem like we've had a lot of guys that, you know, hey, offense it's kind of stalls shot clock running down you know you got to get something on your own and this year you know hopefully we have at least three of those guys uh let's see here jack says which three games 
schedule would be your first choice to cancel because of COVID. Um, both games against Virginia, and then where do we go for the, for the third yeah, game? Yeah, that's that's a great answer. Yeah, uh, I mean the Virginia games, and then I don't know, probably like some shitty like Boston College or something like that. Give me the the two Virginia games in Prairie View. We'll, we'll get Prairie View A and M off the schedule. They're in the three hundreds in the computer rankings. They tank our our net and our Ken Palm ranking. So that'd be my answer. Get Virginia out of here, then get uh, get Prairie View out of here. Blue Devil Ohioan says, "How do you get down on a Friday? The only way I know how. The old school way, of course." <laughs> uh, Festivities next door says, "I got two vacation days left. My work schedule is the exact same as the Louisville basketball schedule." Which two games should I consider taking off to watch? Um, I guess my question, I, I got some questions here. Like, is he talking about the three games that are during the afternoon or is his work schedule? Does he work nights? So he's got, cause if you're taking off for two games that we, we have on the schedule right now, I mean, take off for the Wisconsin and the Kentucky games uh, early on. But if you're talking about the three afternoon games, definitely take off for Seton Hall the day after Thanksgiving and then I would take off for UNC Greensboro. I think that's going to be a really good game. Uh, Friday at two Fridays from now, 2 p.m. Um, they've got a fantastic player in Isaiah Miller. Their head coach is really good in West Miller. I think that'll be a competitive game. Um, so again, still not clear on exactly what the schedule is, but if uh, if those are two, if we're talking about the three afternoon games, those are the two I would pick. Skip the first game against Evansville. Uh, even though it's the season opener, I think we should be able to take care of business. Let's see. Yeah, it ha- hasn't even really hit me yet that like how awesome like next week is going to be. Like U of L basketball into Thanksgiving, back to U of L basketball. You know, combined with football on the weekend, college basketball for like the next week. Like it's going to be great. Uh, Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated <laughs> says, "What do you? What did you think of the Louisville swimmers' performance at the U.S. Open in Indy over the weekend?" Uh, Pat loves to talk swimming. I don't know if you've known. Um, he's big swimming family. His kids are great swimmers. He will, in the middle of like eight tweets that get a billion retweets about college football, he'll throw in that like UC Irvine won the uh, Big Sun meet in, in, in Panama last week. I know that that's n- not accurate at all, but Pat loves swimming. And for his sake, I'll say I was a big fan of the way that the U of L swammer swam last week. Hayden Curley, <laughs> fantastic. Mallory Comerford, I know she's not a U of L standout anymore. She was there. Uh, she was doing her thing. We love U of L swimming here on this. This is a pro again, pro U of L swimming podcast. I actually enjoy when I follow Forty and I randomly get swimming updates. Like I don't know, it's just it, it kind of keeps me in the loop. Um, and then like next thing you know, like the Olympics roll around. I'm like, I actually kind of know what's going on with swimming <laughs> yes. because of Forty. Um, oh. But Stanford's yeah, going to step down. Oh. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, shout out U of L swimmers. Uh, Gil Boldberg says, Will Jim Harbaugh throw in the towel on Michigan the same way Bobby Petrino did in his last season in Louisville? Uh, Dan, you are married to a diehard Michigan fan. Um, oh, man. It's been a tough year for the, the Sonards on the football front. Do you expect Jim? First of all, are we both convinced that this is the last year for Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor? And do you think that he kind of just tanks from this point forward? Gosh, I mean, what an absolute disaster. Um, I, I mean, I don't even know at this point because I don't know who they would hire. I mean, there's there's talk of maybe like a Luke Fickle, but he's got, you know, Columbus, Ohio State ties. You know, people have thrown out Urban Meyer. They're, they're, I, I think he just hates Michigan with a passion, so I, I don't think he would go. Um, so I honestly don't know what kind of hire they could get if they did get rid of him, do I think he needs to go? Do I think that the time is expiring? Yes. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I do, I pull for Michigan, not just because of my wife. Like, I don't know. I, I always like Michigan football, but man, Harbaugh makes it hard for like, he, just like kind of how cocky he was when he first got there and all the shit that he talked. And I don't know. It, I mean, it, I'm just ready for him to move on and, and get somebody else in there. But I just don't know if, if Michigan, unfortunately, is ever going to be the program that maybe they once were. Maybe they just tried the wrong family member. Keep it in the family, Michigan. Not talking about, talk about John Harbaugh. Tommy Crane. Tom Crane. Michigan head coach <laughs> Tom Crane. Let's have a, uh, a Ted Lasso situation here. Let him bring that positive mojo from Georgia um, by the way, Ted Lasso, fantastic show. Highly recommended it. Um, people told me about it. I didn't really believe 
feel good show. Very fun watch. Very needed watch in 2020. But yeah, bring in somebody who has no idea what they're doing with football and let him just. just did you see? Speaking of Tom Crean and the draft tonight, Anthony Edwards. They did a profile on him, and he was, he was like, I don't really love basketball. He's they they were like, when did you fall back in love with basketball? He's like, I still don't really like it. He's like, I don't really watch it. He's like, I love playing it, but whatever. Like, I don't care about basketball. I'm like. Ring endorsement for uh, Tom Crean, the one-and-done factory down there in Athens, Georgia. That could be maybe the worst sentence to come out on NBA. Like, they might – like, he probably would have better off saying, like, yeah, I smoke pot every other day or, or whatnot. Like, he'd probably be better off than saying, like, I don't love basketball. That's, like, the one thing I feel like all NBA scouts and GMs, if they're like, oh, if you're going to be successful, you got to absolutely love basketball, eat, sleep, drink it. So – I feel like that's like the worst sentence that could literally come out about a prospect on draft day. People are saying that he said it just because he doesn't want to go to Minnesota. Like he's trying to tank. He's trying to get out of the top like three in the draft, uh, which is, I mean, brilliant if that's his his intention. But uh, man, I I don't know. It was just kind of a a funny thing. I'm like, well, hashtag Crean effect. Um, Hank Tubbs, our guy Henry Bathtubs. He says, who's your favorite Louisville QB not named Lamar or Teddy? And two, would you ever have Matt Jones on the pod? Yeah, I'd have Matt Jones on the pod. Um, if it was a relevant, pertinent conversation that people would enjoy it, I'd have him on there. I've been on his podcast before. Um, who's your favorite Louisville quarterback not named Lamar or Teddy? And will the, like Brian Brom get him out of here? We, we both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I feel like Brian would probably be pretty pretty pissed if we didn't mention him just because we, we both know him. But He's not listening. He's not, he's Podcast. I know he's not, There's yeah, zero he's not listening. My my son is listening, but not not uh, <laughs> my six year old son's listening, but not Brian Brown. Uh, favorite quarter? I mean, I would probably say Stephon Lafleur's. I I I love that guy. I think he was the quarterback of our absolute best team that I've ever seen at, at the University of Louisville, which was that Liberty Bowl year where the only game we lost was to Miami and fucking Devin Hester, but um, I would say Stefan LaFours. Say that last name again. God, Stefan LaFours. There you go. The first time I think you did it. But here's the thing is like we give – like Louisville fans have been giving each other shit about saying LaFours on accident for like the last decade and a half. And then Petrino did it like two years ago. His fucking coach was like, Stefan LaFours. Uh, he was great. I was like, oh, my God. But even, even Bobby's not immune to it. I feel like – Stefan was definitely the best um, quarterback besides those two, I think. Like, and, and, and this, I'm being serious. Like, no disrespect to Brian or anybody else from that era. I feel like Stefan was just, man, just knew how to run an offense better than any Louisville quarterback I've ever seen. Just always made the right decision. Always picked things up just insanely well. Was incredibly accurate. I'm just trying to think, was he my favorite? He probably was. Um, I mean, I've loved the quarterbacks that we've had. I love Malik now. Um, I was a big Froman guy back in the day. Love from <laughs> Fro Daddy. Froman. I uh, loved Will Stein. Loved all those guys. Loved Chris. Oh, I did love Will Stein. I really did like Will Stein a lot. I forgot about him. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love. Yeah, Dave Ragone was awesome. You know, yeah. we we've been like Chris Redman. I mean, we've been we've been very lucky at the quarterback position. I'll say that. Hunter Cantwell. Um. I, my answer is probably Stefan, though. I, he was awesome. He was, and I'm with you too. That 04 team, I think, still the best team in Louisville history. Um, Mark Ennis, Radio Zone, says if Chris Mack and Scott Satterfield were both in the Hunger Games, who would you bet on to survive? I love this question. Oh man, I, um, I'd probably have to go with Chris Mack. Uh, I, like, Sat's my guy, and I, he's just so damn nice. Like. I, to the point where I think it's like kind of pissing off some fans. I think they they want to see him get pissed a little bit more, maybe show a little bit more fire. But I don't know. I, I I'll probably go with Chris Mack here. I don't think Chris Mack would have any hesitation taking a life. Is, is what yeah. <laughs> is how I'll put it. Like I think Scott Satterfield. I think he'd do what he'd have to do. He'd plan it all out. But I think when the moment came to kill or be killed, I think that'd be that slight hesitation in the back of his mind, just because he is a genuinely nice guy not that chris mack isn't but i feel like there, there would be more of a hesitation just that slight slight doubt is what keeps scott satterfield from killing chris mack and mack i don't think hesitates i think he goes right for the throat when he gets the chance and, and it's over that that'd be my answer i'm i'm with you i'm going chris mack um 
Eli Hershkovic, who I love, says, how long till you release your DePaul-centric pod? Uh, we actually, fun fact, me and Ricky O'Donnell launched a college basketball podcast, I think four years ago, called DePaul, uh, DePaul One, because I used to always tweet from the SB Nation account, DePaul lost after they lost, and it became kind of a thing. And it got canceled after one episode. The powers that be at SB Nation were like, yeah, you guys can't do this. <laughs> I, it's like, I'm going to have to dig that back out of the archives, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Ricky was credentialed to cover a DePaul game that weekend when we put out our first podcast. And the and the SID emailed him and was like, nice name for your podcast. And I was like, oh, shit. I like, I'm, yeah. I'm, is Dave Lato still at DePaul? Yes. Oh, my God. Jesus. Second time. Dave 2.0. Oh man. Well, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like last year they got off to kind of a hot start and then faded. I guess it's the story of DePaul basketball, but they, yeah, they did. They they've gotten recruits shockingly uh somehow. I, I mean, I think the the Rick Patino David Paget text messages gave some insight into how they're getting all these kids there, but more power to Dave Leto doing whatever he can. Uh, Steve Romage, another one of Radio Zone, says, which one of Marcus Maven's first-round tournament losses did you take harder, Gonzaga or Creighton? Um, both times were seven seeds losing to ten seeds. Uh, the Gonzaga game was uh, 2000. The Creighton game was 99. I took both those pretty hard. Which one did you take harder? I, w- I think, uh, what was second? The Gonzaga one was after Creighton, right? Right. Gonzaga was yeah, two- I think I think it was the Gonzaga one just because we were so bummed out about Creighton the year before and we were excited to get back. And I'll never forget the end of the Gonzaga game. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Richard Brooks <laughs> going up for like an uncontested layup and literally the ball hit the bottom of the rim and like came back and almost hit him in the face. It was like the most fitting ending to a disappointed game. I was like, God damn yeah. it. I couldn't help but laugh. It got wedged in the rim. That's what it was. Okay, it yeah. got wedged in the rim, yeah. Go back. That game, that full game is on YouTube, and it, it was like the late game. It was the last game to finish on the first. It was either Thursday or Friday of the tournament. And, I mean, I'm, like, pissed off. Like, season's over. I mean, I took tournament losses even harder when I was growing up than I do now. Like, it just crushed me when the season was over. And I'm, like, about to, like, just have like have a de- depressed sleep. And Rashad Brooks going to the, <laughs> the basket completely on his own everybody's given up on the game and just wedges it right <laughs> into the rim i la- i've never laughed so hard like it was the only thing that could make me happy in that moment the only other thing that i remember about that game was it was the only game of that day where the higher seed the better seeded team lost and they pointed it out i remember like the whoever had the post game coverage on cbs was like Louisville, the only higher-seeded team to lose here on this opening Friday or Thursday. And it really wasn't much of an upset. Gonzaga, a lot of people thought, was going to pull that off. And it that, like that pissed me off so much. I don't remember why. But to answer the question, the Creighton game really – the Creighton game was worse because we had that game totally in hand. Um, I felt really comfortable in the second half. Uh, and at the end of the game when Creighton pulled away, our guy, Marcus Maven, who I love – baseline for back-to-back dunks on uh, back-to-back possessions near the end of the game when it was already like Creighton pretty much had it locked in and I was like where where has this been the entire time not just Marcus but the entire team that one frustrated me more than because I think that team the 2000 team was pretty good they they got up when they wanted to but that 99 team I think was better suited to win multiple games Uh, so that's my answer both losses neither of them very fun yeah I remember the Creighton game I I was I had basketball practices. It was in the afternoon, I, I believe. Um, and I was having to like run in and out of like the lobby of wherever our basketball practice was to check on the game. And yeah, I remember like just being like, oh, I think we got this. And then coming out and being like, what the hell just happened? Uh, let's see. All right, we'll end with this one. If I didn't get to your question, we're going to bust them back out next week because we had so many good ones. Uh, we'll, we'll end with your brother, Colin Sennard. He wants us to answer the age-old question, Undertaker or Kane? <laughs> I'll say, I mean, just Undertaker, because he's just an absolute, you know, legend. Early Undertaker is just an all-time character, um, you know, especially with Paul Bear. I, I don't know. I, I never really got into, like, you know, uh, the, the motorcycle Undertaker. Oh, it's um, the worst. Yeah, I, I was totally, like, you know, the the dead man. That was my guy. But um, Kane, Kane had, a, like, when he came on the scene, it was big time, but... I feel like it, it kind of wore off, at least on me quickly, but I know he stayed in the business for a long time. Kane was terrifying. Like, when he first, like, that gimmick, when it first came out, like, The Undertaker's long-lost, tortured brother, like, 
I thought that was awesome. Like I was a big Kane guy. I was like what seventh or eighth grade for us. I was super into Kane, but I'm with you. Like I love the early Undertaker. He was legitimately scary. The Buried Alive matches were awesome. And he came out as the uh, the American badass, which his debut as that character was at Judgment Day. We were in in like at the Oh yeah, we were there, there together. In the motorcycle. Yeah, that whole gimmick was just dumb. Ra- like, random fact for me, um one of my old jobs, my boss used to be an actual wrestler. Like he he did like Ohio Valley wrestling. Like never really made it big, but there was a summer slam where like Undertaker had like eight Undertakers come out at one time and he was one of the Undertakers that came <laughs> out. Um so I was like, Oh my god, that's incredible. But that's, that's awesome. a random fact, yeah. So I guess like I, I gotta take Undertaker as my pick, even though at his peak I probably liked Kane a little bit more, but Man, Taker's a legend. Do you have a um, – again, thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Uh, if we didn't get to yours this week, I'm gonna, we're going to try to get to them uh, either on the episode with Keith on Friday or next week when Dan and I are back together getting ready for basketball season. Um, do you have a Dan of the Dump story for this week, Dan? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm glad you ended it on a wrestling question um, because, because the Dan of the Dumps is actually about something wrestling. So uh, my brother is completely into wrestling, and – I was into wrestling, you know, probably until I would say right around like 1999 or 2000. And then I just, it, it kind of faded off for me. But um, I want to say this was like 1994 or 95 when like Bret Hart was big. The Undertaker was big. Yokozuna was big. There was an event that came to Louisville. It was one of those like traveling house events where it's not on TV and all the wrestlers come and, and, and wrestle, but you don't really hear about it. But it was at the Louisville Gardens, and my parents were awesome and, and got us, like, second row. So we were totally jacked. So we get there, and, I mean, I've been looking forward to this probably more than anything, like, in my entire life. I was so pumped. And the first match is all, this guy named Aldo Montoya. Um, we used to call him a sorry guy cause he only like lost and like wrestled good wrestlers versus Duke, the dumpster Drozzy, um, shout out Duke, the dumpster Drozzy. And anyways, so like the match starts and like, we're like totally into it. And then like the match like keeps going. We're like, man, this is getting pretty long. And then I swear to God, the match had to be like 35 minutes like and like i could just like tell by the way my dad was looking like my dad probably didn't want to be there anyways he just did it for us but he's probably like jesus what the hell is this like a 35 minute match so finally like duke the dumpster i think pins him and they're walking back and like the ring announcer howard finkel's like after review it looks like his shoulder was up before he counted to three so then he like came back and wrestled for like another 30 minutes i was like is this an hour match between like (laughs) two of the worst wrestlers i've ever seen so finally the match ends and it's like we're just the crowd and finally the howard finkel gets on the mic he's like Ladies and gentlemen, the wrestlers are late arriving here to Louisville. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God, like, what the hell? So, like, I mean, the rest of the matches, like, I think the main event was, like, Undertaker versus Yokozuna. And it must have lasted, like, a, a two-minute match. Like, Undertaker threw Yoko in the casket. They closed it, and that was it. They turned the lights out, and we left. But, like... Like, 30 years later, I was like, did that actually happen? And me and you were actually in Denver last year, like, absolutely, like, drunk at 3 a.m. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this happened. And sure enough, you Googled it. And there, like, was, like, a little excerpt about, like, how they fought for an hour at, like, this awful event. So, I don't know. I I was totally looking forward to it and just was completely let down. But it was hilarious at the time. Duke the dumpster and we went to his Wikipedia page and it's like a picture of like just him giving a thumbs up as a normal guy it's <laughs> yeah. whole, the whole story is fantastic I I remember going to wrestling it was at I guess I don't think it was at Freedom Hall it may have been Louisville Gardens it was one of those no it would have had to have been Freedom Hall but it was one of those non-televised deals the touring deal same type of deal and all I wanted to do was sit by where the wrestlers run out so I could like reach out and give them high fives and they gave us an aisle seat on the completely opposite side of the ring. And then, like, it was supposed to be Hulk Hogan versus uh, Sergeant Slaughter. And then Hogan just didn't show up, like, bailed at the last second. So it was Macho Man versus Slaughter. And the whole thing was just a disaster. And my mom took us. And I think my mom thought that only kids were into professional wrestling. And she was, I think, still horrified to this day 
about the grown men that were there and like drunk and going nuts and stuff. Like I, my mom had no idea what she was getting into. I, I remember, and I got a British the uh, British bulldog shirt was the only other thing that I have. No idea where it is. It was way too big. War doesn't. Yeah, I, I remember not to ramble here, but we I took my brother to a Monday Night Raw, and I'll never forget. It was in Freedom Hall, and like literally, it was the boringest like event. This was like kind of later on when when Hogan had had come back. And the guy behind me was absolutely wasted. I think he had 35 signs that he had obviously taken hours to draw. And finally, like, here comes the main event. And I turn, like, we turn around and this guy is literally hunched over, passed out, just drunk <laughs> off his ass. And, like, his friend's like, come on, man, you've been waiting this for a year. It's the Hulkster. Get up, man. And the guy, like, would not wake up for anything. It was the funniest thing ever. Oh, man, that's great. Um, all right, we've rambled long enough. If you haven't subscribed to the pod, uh, please do so. Please give us a, a, a rating. Please give us a review if you can. We actually have two new reviews this week. And, and to try and coerce you into giving us a, a review, we'll read most of them on air, at least if we can. Uh, this one's from Alex Max. says, love it. Rutherford went full John during that question. Love the pod. Perfect mix of UofL sports and dad stories. I uh, wish it was more than twice a week. It gets me through my night shift uh, at office work. And then uh, Poppy Petrino says, Chichester Turnaround versus UK is the, the title of the comment. It says, Mike and Dan are a sports radio unicorn. I've never seen a pair of podcasts or radio hosts that understand their fan bases as well as these two. Mike is always armed with facts, like the glistening white fur of the unicorn. Dan contrarily provides the comedic relief, which dovetails as the head of the unicorn. These two gentlemen are a blessing to my Cardinal sports ears. Keep up the great work. Go Ka. Those are both very nice. Yeah, those were awesome. I love the reviews are great. I mean, they, I, I couldn't enjoy them more and reading them and I'm definitely appreciative when, they, when they're out there. All right. Uh, we'll be back with Keith on Friday to preview the Syracuse game because I guess we have to. I mean, we don't have to. I, I don't even know why we're doing this, but um, <laughs> we're going to put a preview podcast out. I know Keith is just as, as excited as I am to get into that. Um, so tune in for that. We'll be back next week. And next time we'll be talking to you, it's going to be the week of Louisville basketball, the week of college basketball. That's something to get excited about. So everybody, enjoy your weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you on Friday. Until we do, go Cards. Go Cards.